0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke today, a firm grip on the Gospel, with a message titled, The Blessings and the Woes. So turning your Bibles to Luke 6, 20 to 26, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: Everyone has, in their understanding of life and what they want, as well as what they want to avoid, a list of things. You know, if you're young, you should be thinking about what constitutes the good life. You want to choose the good, you want to avoid the evil, which ultimately leads to ruin. So, for instance, at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, a father is instructing his son, and he says, Son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. If they should say, let's lie and wait for blood, Let's live a life of crime and violence. Please understand, in the end, this is an ambush of your own life. Anyone who keeps track of gang activity knows what the father said to his son is true. You know, gang members that were feared one moment are soon dispatched and die early in life. Or they spend a lifetime in prison. Yeah, the father was right. If you lie in wait for the life of another, in truth, you're lying in wait for yourself. You're a fool. Choose life, don't choose death. Choose blessings, don't choose woes. This, if you will, is an appeal to self-interest. It's not only true of people who flirt with crime, it's true of all the decisions that we make. Should you study hard in school or should you goof off? Should you be faithful to your spouse? Should you cheat? Should you work hard or should you rob your employer? Should you be industrious? Should you be lazy? I mean, what's the end point of all of your decisions? Each decision leads either to life or to death. So choose life. So we're about to embark on a study of Jesus' sermon on the plain. It's found in Luke chapter 6. And as we begin, we're going to see that Jesus starts his sermon with a series of four blessings, then followed by four woes. Four groups of people who are favored, who will have the best possible life, and four groups of people who should be pitied above all others. And before we read the passage, let me highlight an important truth. Please don't hear Jesus saying that the blessings or the beatitudes the favored people that Jesus describes, that these virtues are conditions for entering the kingdom of God, or that if you seek to emulate or imitate those who are blessed, you're going to be blessed as well. See, that's not the point here at all. Jesus doesn't begin his sermon by saying, blessed are those who strive to be poor, because if you give up all your money and embrace poverty, you're going to have the blessings of heaven. See, that's not what Jesus is saying. You'll notice as that we read the blessings that there's not one command here. Rather, it's simply an observation. Jesus is saying those who have already entered the kingdom of God, those people, they have certain characteristics about them. And as to how they got the characteristics, well, that he doesn't say. We have to wait to the end of the sermon when he makes his appeal, his, his altar call, if you will. But what he begins with is to turn our expectations on their heads the very ones that we thought were the most blessed he says they're really the most cursed and so jesus sermon on the Plain begins by describing four blessings and four woes and we will find that according to jesus those people that are most blessed are the last people in the world we would have expected to be blessed so I'm reading the beginning of Jesus' sermon. It's Luke 6, 20 to 23. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you And revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, we notice that the word blessed is used four times. That word itself can be translated as happy, although most translations of the original have not chosen that word. And that's because happiness doesn't quite get the idea. Rather to be blessed is to live in favorable circumstances. So get back to the idea of what you think constitutes the good life. I mean, perhaps for you, the person who lives in favorable circumstances has a well-paying job, he's respected, drives a luxury car, so forth. We all have in our mind an image of what favorable circumstances actually look like. And when we think of the person who's blessed, They're the person who, as we say, has it made. Everything's going their way. And with that view of blessing, we should very quickly catch on that the person Jesus says is blessed is the last person most people would think is blessed. But that's just the point. Jesus is saying most people have it all wrong. They're aiming at the wrong thing. They're striving toward that which leads to ruin. And he's going to get to that when he speaks about the woes. But let's look at the four people that Jesus said are blessed. First, blessed are the poor. And we're going to have to say that at the outset, not all poor people are blessed. You know, according to Proverbs 30, where the writer asks God not to give him either poverty or wealth, and he tells us why. He worries that if he's rich, he's going to forget God. But if he's poor, in his desperation, he might steal and break God's commands. See, poverty can be grinding. It leads to despair. People who are poor live typically shorter lives. They're more prone to be victims of violence. There's no one to protect them. I I could go on and on. How are they blessed? But a little thought tells us that Jesus could not have meant this as a blanket statement to all the world's poor. See, the Christian faith teaches us that we have an obligation to the poor to lift their burdens, to provide for ways in which poverty can be overcome. If the poor are blessed, I mean, why in the world would we seek to lift their burdens, you see? See, Jesus, on the other hand, is referring to something else. Notice that right before Jesus pronounces a blessing on the poor, you know, the beginning of verse 20 says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, that is, he's not speaking of the blessing of all the world's poor. He's speaking specifically to those who have followed him. Well, in terms of Peter and Andrew and John, well, they had left their fishing boats and that business to follow him. In terms of Matthew, well, he left his you know, lucrative tax business, quit outright, abandoned everything to follow Jesus. And if we go ahead to Luke 18, we find a discussion in which Jesus declares that it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, it's not entirely possible, but it's very hard. It's an extraordinary thing indeed for a rich man to enter. And Peter, hearing this, responds, and here I'm reading verse 28 of that chapter. He says, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And then Jesus responds, No one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive in the age to come many times more. And that wider context has to be read into this first blessing. Blessed are those who see the value of the kingdom of God to be so great that they would impoverish themselves if that's what it takes. In the end, their trust is not in the resources that they have in this world. Their trust is fully in God. That is, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in this world whose only hope is not their resources, but it is in God. Indeed, so favorable is their condition that theirs is the kingdom of God. These people will receive the benefits of the kingdom. Notice that becoming poor didn't earn them the benefits of the kingdom. No, it wasn't that. No, because they had the benefits of the kingdom, which must include, well, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, eternal life, adoption into the family of God, ruling over the works of God's hands forever, this great kingdom that's promised is theirs. And because they have securely grasped it, they willingly let go of everything this world offers, even if it means they become destitute. They become poor, counting on future blessings, not present ones. And so just in case the crowd that came to hear Jesus thought, you know, look at those disciples, you know, they experience want now because they've left everything to follow Christ. Jesus says, no, no, you're wrong. These people are the most advantaged people on the face of the earth. That's wonderful. Now, the second blessing is on those who are hungry. Now, I know that hunger results from poverty. As before, when we discussed poverty, it's not that hunger is a favored condition. My parents were raised in the former Soviet Union. They lived in Ukraine. Stalin was forcibly starving out that rich land. And my father's brother died of malnutrition. I have, although I've never experienced hunger myself, I've heard that horrifying story from my parents. It's described to me. It's, it's etched in my memory. It's horrifying. But in Matthew, Jesus spoke of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And here in Luke, the hunger must mean something like that. Yeah, leaving everything to follow Jesus might bring physical hunger, true, but leaving everything to follow Christ and living in a world where the values of the world that are embraced by the majority are at odds with the values of the kingdom. The majority mocks the values of the kingdom, and that leaves those who are in the kingdom with a profound sense of hunger. Jesus says this hunger is blessed. For those who hunger in this way will be satisfied. That is to say, the future hope of the kingdom of God won't be delayed forever. In the end, the morning will break. Evil will suffer a fatal defeat. Satan will be cast into a bottomless pit and the deep hunger of the righteous will be satisfied in the kingdom to come. And Therefore, Jesus said, the hungry are blessed.
0: Every single week, we hear stories of listeners drawing closer to the Lord through the teaching of Back to the Bible Canada. Hearing your testimony reminds us that God's word does not return empty, but makes an impact. Heidi wrote, your show was sometimes the one constant that provided an anchor in an otherwise upside down world. Your ministry reaches further than I think you realize. If you have a story to share of how Back to the Bible Canada has helped impact your spiritual walk, please let us know that we're hitting the mark. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And while you're there, please consider how you might support this ongoing Bible teaching ministry with your financial support. It would mean so much.
1: Let's look at the third blessing. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Please understand how important that statement is. You know, when Paul spoke this, he would say in Philippians 1.29 that it has been granted to us not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. Living faithfully unto Christ always results in trials, and sometimes it also results in persecution. Weeping is the cost of following Christ. But even though that is the case, it's also the case that the day will come when all weeping will end and we will laugh. And this is the laugh of joy, the laugh of untainted delight. Oh, the expressions of joy when the first rays of the light of the new world shine on us. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says that our momentary light afflictions are earning for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Laughter, joy, delight, unbounded pleasure, such as we didn't know was possible. Then the fourth blessing, that's the longest one. Blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn, you, your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So how do you think it'll go for us when we follow Christ? You know, if they hated our Savior, they're going to hate us as well. They're going to treat us like him. Notice the categories of displeasure with which the world will treat the followers of Jesus. The first is simply outright hatred, but hatred takes different forms. I mean, one form is to be excluded. I remember years ago speaking at a large church in Romania, and this was shortly after communism had fallen, and during the communist era, Christians had suffered terribly. But now that communism had fallen, I was asked if I would speak to those parents who were bringing their children forward to be dedicated at church. It's a great honor to be asked to do this, and that's because during the communist era, any parent who took their children to church would be excluded from higher education at a university. But these parents thought they should bring their kids to church anyway. Christ and his kingdom was a greater value than higher education. You see, exclusion, sometimes it's formal and sometimes it's informal, as in you're not invited into my circles. But in every case, exclusion hurts. And then exclusion is followed by reviling, that is, speaking disparagingly of you. And then comes spurning your name as evil, that is, they make you out to be someone the society should be protected from. You're definitely on the outside. And and what should you do, says Jesus? You should rejoice. Listen, all the great men and women of God who were faithful unto death, were treated in exactly that fashion. And remember, God knows, and he's going to reward you. Indeed, the only way to survive such treatment is to remember that there is a reward. And so Jesus has finished describing those who are his own, his disciples who have traded in the pleasures of this world for the pleasures of his kingdom to come. And they have, as it were, come to understand where the ultimate treasure is found. They have looked at the fading rewards of this world, and they've concluded, that's a poor thing to bet my life on. But what of those who don't agree? What of those who think it's a very good bet to revel in this world? After all, the vast majority of the human race is doing exactly that. So let's read Luke six twenty-four to 26. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. "'Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets.'" So corresponding to the four blessings, we see that Jesus now gives us four woes. And before we look at each one in turn, let's concentrate on that one word, woe. You know, sometimes the word is translated as alas, but it's hard to find the right expression for that word. The word describes the person who's in a state of intense hardship or even misery. It means that disaster has fallen on this person and their life has turned into a horror. As much as blessings describes the person who has the best possible life imagined, woe describes something so sorrowful it's hard to contemplate just how bad it is. All we can say is that we would hope that our lives would never end up this way. Every once in a while, we hear of someone who falls from a lofty position. I mean, once they were wealthy, now they've lost everything, and now they're destitute. Or the person who was once respected by others and sought out by people, but a scandal has now occurred. The person is not sought out again. Everyone seeks to avoid them now. It's not just the fact that they don't have what they once did. But it's the emotion that surrounds such a fall from grace. The person looks in the mirror and wonders who they are now. You might think of names of people to whom just such a thing has occurred. I know for myself, I think of pastors and Christian leaders who were once respected, but who, because of a discovered immorality, are not only despised, but who are left alone. The shock of such a condition, it's hard to describe. It's a shock to the soul, and it never seems to go away. I mean, think of all of that when you hear the word woe. And so, with that in mind, let's look at the four woes. First, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. You know, Jesus often discussed the danger of wealth. And perhaps the rich young ruler comes to mind. The man who was offered the wealth of the kingdom of God, but he couldn't get beyond the wealth of this present age. I mean, for the sake of the short term, he gave up on the eternal The key to understanding this woe is not to say that Jesus condemned all rich people, for he most surely did not. But the key in this passage is the phrase, you have received your consolation. See, wealth in this world does buy consolation. Not only makes it possible to afford the best and to travel at will and to eat in the finest places, it does so much more. Wealth buys the best of friends. It curries the best of favors. It allows those who have it to exercise influence, influence that if they were poor, they would never have. It gives power to make decisions over the lives of others, over institutions, and over jobs. Wealth buys so much more than the latest toys. Wealth, says Jesus, is consoling. The word means that it's encouraging. It gives a sense that you're worth far more than others and that your weight and heft is greater than all others. Wealth gives advantages. The wealthy are often first in line, the first in respect that is offered, and become accustomed by the differential attitudes and actions of others towards them. And it needs to be said that if one's truly born again and one's wealthy, you're going to fight against that with all the energy that you have. You're going to want to choose the way of a servant. You're going to use your wealth to build up others, and you're going to gladly clean the tables of the poor. But those who use their wealth as consolation, Jesus said, woe to you. Your day of consolation is coming to an end, and it's something you're never going to recover from. The shock will overwhelm you with such a force. It will devastate you. What a disaster. Woe to that person. The second is, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. You know, in many ways, that's exactly what was in the first woe, but this expands it a bit. Woe to those who have everything that you want and are in need of nothing. You know, there's not one thing that you can't give yourself, and you've never restrained yourself. Self-denial, you don't know it you've never gone without. It's not a part of your existence. In the age to come, you're going to be hungry. You're going to want, and you'll never be satisfied. Woe to you. The third woe, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And of course, Jesus is not condemning laughter in the present age. Laughter, well, that's a blessing from God. But the contrast is between the person who's satisfied with the present world and the one who simply can't be satisfied until the kingdom of heaven arrives. It's only then that they can come to joy. And finally, the fourth woe. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know, the world loves its own. Jesus said it. He also told his disciples that if you were of this world, the world would love you. Here's an example. Entertainers are honored as if they're gods. Many of them parade across the stage wearing provocative clothing, reveling in lust and in philosophies that glorify self-indulgence. And the world says, that's great, and sings their praises. And false prophets in the past, says Jesus, were as popular as them. I know, I did a study on this some time ago. Faithful preachers, pastors, church leaders, they were driven from the empire, they were fired from their pulpits, they lived in great stress from their critics, while the faithless around them lived in luxury. Woe, says Jesus. It strikes me then that in the kingdom to come, the whole world gets turned upside down. Everything that was praised here is condemned there, and everything that was condemned here is praised there. So the question for all of us is this, Which one do we want? An eternity of blessing or an eternity of woe?
0: Thanks for your message, John. You know, if we understand the upside-down kingdom, should we take from that that all things on earth are cursed?
1: Eventually, I guess, you know, they're, they're eventually cursed because, um, you know, this world and it's everything that is in it is passing away. God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Yes, it'll be a renewed earth. Um, but we recognize that anything that we put our stake down in this world uh, is ultimately passing away. Let's remember that. Uh, Let's also remember that there are a great many attractions and desires in this world that will lead us away from Christ. So to love this world is to turn our back on Him. Uh, But however, having said that, we're also grateful for the many blessings we have in this world and we need to keep things in perspective, have a proper value base.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Firm Grip on the Gospel, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Legacy can traditionally be defined as something that is passed on to entrusted hands. But it can be so much more. Your faith, your character, your core values, or the life you lead. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada and you wanted to continue and have an eternal impact on future generations, then you may wish to consider making a legacy donation. Advisors with Purpose is an independent Canadian financial ministry that Back to the Bible Canada partners with to help supporters create a plan for their estate according to their faith and values. Our partnership allows Back to the Bible Canada to offer an estate service through Advisors with Purpose for free. If you're interested or would like more information, call Advisors with Purpose today at 1-866-336-3315. And to donate to the ministry today, visit us at backtothebible.ca.